Welcome to ST Time, your go-to guide for tips and tricks for storytelling the new social deduction game, Blood on the Clock Tower. My name is Jamie, you might know me as Jams, and I'll be your host here, walking you through different scenarios you might face as you engage your party of demon hunters in this wonderful social deduction game. Now, since you're here, I am assuming that you have some sort of baseline familiarity with the game. If you're brand new, I'd highly recommend going to bloodontheclocktower.com to learn about the basic structure of the game and the different scripts and characters. Now, last week, we discussed one of the most fun parts of setting up your game, which is how to decide which characters you want to put into play. So, as a logical next step, once you've selected your tokens and passed them out, the next thing I wanted to talk about is decision-making. This week's episode will focus on how you make decisions about the game on night one, and next week we'll be back to discuss how you can continue to think about your decisions as the game progresses. Before I dive deeper, I want to clarify that when I say decisions, what I'm talking about is all of the mechanical choices you can make given the characters that you've put into play. Decision-making on night one of the game is a big deal because it sets the stage for your entire setup. First things first, I find it helps to think of all the possible decisions you can make as sitting on a spectrum. Most decisions are going to be fine, somewhere in that neutral to positive space on that spectrum. Some decisions might be really harmful to one team, and often these are decisions that are just too strong in favor of the opposite team. Some decisions will be especially balanced, and these are the ones that you're aiming for. When I think of decisions as a binary, I can get caught in a cycle of feeling like I have to make the right decision and must avoid the wrong decision at all costs. When in practice, there are lots of decisions that will probably turn out okay, and putting some extra time and thought into it means you can come out with a decision that's not just okay, but is actually just more balanced and fun and fair for your players at that time. If you're a person like me who really loves metaphors, it might help to picture the game as a massive seesaw. And as I say this, I'm now wondering if they're also called seesaws in other countries. So just in case, we're talking about the playground structure, where it's just a long board with a fixed pivot point in the middle. Seesaw. Your job as the storyteller is to try and keep that seesaw balanced. Something important to consider is that the game doesn't inherently start balanced. Sure, on the first day of the game, everyone is alive, and you're starting with a predetermined ratio of townsfolk to outsiders to minions to demon. But that doesn't mean that both teams have an equally strong chance of winning at the beginning of the game. In most basic setups, the evil team typically starts at a disadvantage. So on the first night of the game, as the storyteller, I think it's my immediate responsibility to identify how balanced my setup is so I can factor that into my choices and decisions. In an in-person game, you control what tokens go in the bag, but you do not control who ends up with what. It is entirely possible that your empath can end up in a sandwich between the minion and the demon. If you put a chef in the game, it's also possible that your entire evil team ends up sitting in a row. So. What are some things we can look for to try and get a sense of how balanced our game is? First, what information is the town starting with? Which first night roles are in play? What is the base outsider count? If it's zero, will people know right away if it's a barren game? With one minion, 
If an outsider claim is trusted, this means there's no poisoner or no spy and misregistration coming from the evil team. That's a lot of info for the good team to have right away. Second, what mechanics are in play that can disrupt the town's information? Is there a drunk in the game? Is there a poisoner? Is there a spy who can misregister? What sort of things are going to be in play to affect the information that the town is getting and to make it so that townsfolk are going to have to question all of the information that they've received? Once we have this baseline, we can start to think about possible decisions for our first night information. Before getting into specific characters, there are a few tokens that we might have to place. Those are the drunk and the red herring. If we need to make someone drunk, the first thing I like to consider is, is there anything glaringly unbalanced? A chef for an empath too? If yes, I might consider drunking a character whose first night information would really throw evil under the bus. Some other things to consider for our drunk. How much info does good have relative to evil's ability to mess with that info? If there are a lot of powerful ongoing info roles like an undertaker, a fortune teller, an empath, and then evil doesn't have anything like misregistration from a spy or a poisoner to mess with info, and there's not a recluse in play to cause good players' information to be messed up, that's a lot of info for good without a lot of support from the evil team. So I might want to make one of those more powerful roles drunk to just provide a little bit more misinformation in the town. Next, what mechanics are in play to identify the drunk? If there's a librarian, they can ping a drunk off of two players, and then they'll know that the drunk is between one of those two players, or you just have a drunk librarian. Outsider count is another mechanic to help players figure out if someone is drunk. If you have a base two outsider game, and there's only one player claiming to be an outsider, then necessarily there has to be a drunk somewhere in your town. One thing I do want to mention is that the drunk doesn't have to be mechanically identifiable, but you do want to give the good team some sort of indication that there is a drunk somewhere in the town. They should be able to know that that's an option just to be able to factor that into their world building. I also want to acknowledge that some of this is just my own bias against things like a drunk mayor, because if you have no way to identify that your mayor is drunk, everyone trusts them, and then the good team goes for that mayor win, that can feel really, really bad for that mayor. Now, if we have a fortune teller in play, then we'll also need to place the token for the fortune teller's red herring. Remember, this is the one good player who registers as a demon to the fortune teller. Of course, our recluse can also register as a demon, so typically we don't want to put the red herring token on the recluse because that's already an interaction that is affecting the fortune teller's information. When we're placing that token for the red herring, there are a couple of things worth considering. First, can this player end up confirmed if they are alive? Mechanically, the virgin and the slayer on the good team are the only players who can respectively cause a death upon nomination and kill a player that registers as the demon by claiming to be the slayer. If one of those confirmed players has a red herring token on them, then the fortune teller will know, well, I know this player can't be the demon. They're proven to be the slayer or the virgin. So that's going to detract from information because it will mean that other separate yes pings the fortune teller has gotten are therefore more likely to point to the actual evil demon. In addition, 
are there other things in the game that might point to that player? So for example, let's say I have a chef in the game and the chef has received a one. Sometimes I like to put the red herring on a good player who is sitting next to the recluse or sitting next to another evil player. Because if there's a fortune teller, yes, next to a player that let's say has an investigator ping as the poisoner on them, then people might put two and two together and say, well, I know there's a chef one. I know that this person could be the poisoner and this person I checked and I learned that they might be the demon. So good execution. And that's going to work in evil's favor because there's going to be a lot of mechanical pressure on a player who is good and not evil. Outside of our drunk and our red herring, the other characters that we're going to interact with on the first night are our top four first night information roles, as well as the fortune teller and the empath. So starting with the washerwoman at the top of the list, there are lots of different things you can do with the washerwoman. Something I consider a little bit weaker is you could confirm a player that can confirm themselves. So for example, if the washerwoman sees a virgin and then nominates that virgin and dies to the virgin, they're not going to get any new or different information from that. Somewhere in the middle of washerwoman power is you can confirm any player that gets good information for the good team. And on the really strong side of the scale, you can confirm a player with a win condition who might also be confirmed in other ways. For example, if you have a mayor next to an empath zero and you decide to show the washerwoman that mayor, that's going to be really, really tough for evil. On the flip side, if you want to do something really spicy, you can always show the washerwoman both the drunk and the spy, but show the washerwoman the token that the drunk pulled out of the bag. So if you have a drunk empath, for example, you can show the washerwoman, hey, Here's two players. One of them's the empath. They don't necessarily need to know right away that the person they saw as the empath was in fact the spy registering as the empath to the washerwoman ability, while the actual good player who grabbed that empath token out of the bag, they're just the drunk. Moving on to our librarian. Pretty much everything is fair game with the librarian. If it is a base two outsider game without a baron, and there is a drunken play, you may want to consider that the one outsider claim will be confirmed unless the evil team is bluffing at least one outsider. So if the librarian learns about that one outsider and it's the only outsider claim in a base two outsider game, that's not gonna be adding any new information to what the good team already knows. That can be okay, especially if evil is starting out on the back foot, but it's something to keep in mind when you're deciding who to put that librarian ping on. The one last thing for librarian is just if it's a base zero outsider game and the librarian is also learning a zero, evils might have a harder time bluffing outsider because every single world that they build will have to have that librarian as either evil or exactly the drunk. And if the librarian is drunk, then the evil team loses all of their opportunities to push on other players' information as being drunk. Next up, the investigator. Uh, lots of people like to think of the investigator as a glorified librarian because it is all too common to see an investigator who learns two players as a certain minion, and then it turns out that one of those players is just, just the recluse. If you do choose to ping the recluse with the investigator, which is a completely valid thing to do, you may want to be careful about showing them as a baron. If the recluse is registering as the baron, 
then you have to have two additional outsiders beyond that recluse in order for that to work, which means necessarily evil is going to have to be bluffing an outsider, or they're going to have to propose a world where there is either a butler or a saint as well as a drunk viably existing in the town. It is really hard to make this world work mechanically, and that's a lot of work to put on the evil team. This is not to say that you can literally never show a baron if you are pinging a recluse to the investigator, just that it's not the most helpful thing to the evil team to do, and the entire purpose of the recluse ability is to be helpful to the evil team. If you are going to ping a recluse to the investigator, I would highly recommend showing any of the other three minions just because evil will have a little bit more room to world build and to play with that information. Another thing I've noticed with the investigator is that storytellers often seem hesitant to show the spy with the investigator because the spy can register as good. It is so important to remember as a storyteller that there is a reason that the spy, the recluse, the drunk, and the poison abilities all say might in the ability description. Just because the spy can register as good does not mean they have to or they should register as good in every single situation. So showing the spy to an investigator is a completely valid strategy. The Scarlet Woman is an interesting one because I like to think of the Scarlet Woman as evil's backup plan. That's the, in case the demon gets executed, in case evil's in trouble, you have that Scarlet Woman to buy you some extra time, to buy you an extra day. And if you ping the Scarlet Woman with the investigator, then evil is going to be stuck in a situation where if there's a slayer shot or if there is a really obvious execution, let's say there's a monk who's found the undertaker and so you literally can't get that undertaker out of the way and you can't affect their information. If the evil team has a scarlet woman who's been shown to an investigator, then that's going to put them in a position where that scarlet woman might have to immediately star pass, or they're just going to be outed as one of two players who is now the demon since good knows that the demon has been executed. This is, again, not to say that you should never show the scarlet woman, just that it's important to consider what the purpose of the Scarlet Woman is in a setup and make sure that you're not throwing evil under the bus even more than they already start the game. On the first night of Trouble Brewing, there are three other characters that will receive information, and these are the chef, the fortune teller, and the empath. For all of these characters, the only decisions you'll actually have to make are about misregistration and poison. Now, we have a whole episode about misregistration and giving information to drunk and poisoned people coming up, so all I'll say for now is that there is a reason that the spy, the recluse, the drunk, and the poisoner all say might in their character explanations. Sometimes the most balanced decision you can make is to give that player the same information that you would have given them if they were sober. If you literally always misregister, and give false information, your players will absolutely meta that. But we're going to save this for next week, so stay tuned for a special guest episode coming soon. Thanks so much for joining me for today's ST Time. If you liked this podcast, you can subscribe to ST Time on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have feedback or topics you'd like to hear about on future episodes, you can catch me on Discord at Jams5634 or on Twitter at BoomJamsy. Thanks for listening, everyone.